It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Gabe DeArmond and Mitchell Forty here. It is the week of the NBA draft and honestly, probably the biggest storyline in that draft uh, centers around Michael Porter Jr. and Columbia, Missouri this week. So we're going to talk about it with Jeff Goodman. He is a national national basketball writer, college, some NBA stuff, all that soon to be seen on uh, stadium sports. So you will be able to find Jeff in a different place than you've been able to find him recently. Uh, and Jeff, uh, appreciate you playing injured today, apparently. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Yeah, I tore my uh, knee up pretty good about a month ago, like a dumbass playing softball. I was diving for a ball, <laughs> making a catch and got clipped and yeah, the rest is history. Plateau, tibial plateau fracture and torn MCL. All right, well, I don't know exactly how old you are. I don't ever want to say you're too old to play softball, but you're certainly too old to hustle that much. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a problem. I, you know, I'm playing like I'm in my 20s, and I'm not I, – I won't say my age, but I'm I'm more – hey, I'm more Mitchell's father's age, all right? Like, <laughs> that, that would be – however old Pat is, I'm in that, that kind of realm, somewhere in that group. <laughs> Gotcha. All right, so let's get to it. Um, I know you've tweeted a lot about uh, about Michael this week. There has been, yeah. like, it pretty much the way it's been with Michael Porter Jr. for a year, every day there's a new story, and none of us know for sure what to believe. So where, what do you think's true, and, and what do you think the NBA's opinion of Michael Porter Jr. is now just a, a few hours from the draft? Well, that's the problem, right? It started with the secrecy right when he got hurt uh, in the first you know, two minutes of, of the, mm-hmm. the opener this year. And there was no info and everything was a secret. Instead of coming out and just being honest with everything, uh, I think that was kind of probably the wrong way to go about it. But that's ancient history. Now all that matters is the medical information that uh, the NBA teams have right now, which, you know, I just got off the phone with a couple of NBA guys earlier today, and, and one said, listen, our, our doctors have told us, stay away, don't draft them. But what he told me is I've talked to other people in other organizations, and I have as well, where they have not red flagged them to say, can't take Michael Porter. Um, There are some that have said, hey, listen, we're not sure about the long-term viability of Michael Porter in his back, um, but we're not going to tell you not to take him. It's certainly a risk when an 18-year-old has back surgery and has dealt with back problems for the last couple years. Um, Ultimately, I still feel like Michael Porter is the second most talented player in this draft. Um, but he could slide into the 10 range just because everybody's so worried um, about that back and, and whether he's going to be able to play through the first contract even. Jeff, uh, Mitchell Forty here. Uh, just to get into kind of one of the, the specific uh, instances of, of uh, you know, Michael Porter drama that we've had just here in the last week, um, there was a, a situation last week where he uh, had a workout canceled because he reportedly couldn't even get out of bed because of uh, hip spasms. Do you know kind of what what all happened there and how much that that event maybe may have impacted his draft stock? I don't. I don't know the specifics of that that event. Um, You know, the hardest part this time of year, too, is trying to um, figure out what's true and what's not. You know, obviously, there are some NBA teams that are going to try to plant something uh, if they want a certain guy. Is that the case with Michael Porter? I don't know. We, We don't know that, whether that was planted in an effort to hopefully get Michael Porter to slide down to where a team, a certain team could take him, or that was completely accurate. And if it is, obviously it's, it's beyond worrisome. 
Um, you know, again, you know, the heart, the hardest part right now is, is trying to figure out what's real and what's not without seeing the medical, the actual medical records or talking to somebody, a doctor who has seen those medical records. But what I can tell you is, and this has happened in the past numerous times, uh, different doctors will evaluate, you know, different medical reports, um, you know, with, with some will say, hey, you know what? He's okay. You can take him. Others will say, hey, you know, stay away. Don't touch him, what, you know, at all. So they kind of evaluate it differently. It's not like, you know, they're going to look at it the exact same way and say, hey, listen, you know, probably that way with my knee right now, right? If I got, mm-hmm. you know, five doctors to look at it, a couple might say, all right, you know what? You can come back and start putting weight on it next week. Others might say, hey, you know what? We want you to wait another month and be conservative. So that's kind of how it is with these doctors and a much bigger deal, obviously. All right, so let's – and I understand this is a giant assumption. Let's say Michael's yeah. healthy. Let's say the back never causes him a problem. I, yeah. I mean, two years ago, even a year ago, we had people tell us this kid is – I mean, he's one of the best NBA prospects in years. How good – and those of us who are in Columbia are a little jaded because, like, I never saw – I've never seen Michael play healthy. So how good no, can this no. kid be? I've said it. Listen, to me – he and Aiton were 1A and 1B uh, coming into this year. Michael Porter's healthy. He's the number two guy in this draft. I, I love him. I've loved him as a player probably more than anybody, uh, to be honest, because he's the new age NBA player, which is a multidimensional forward. And he's the closest thing, and I'm not saying he was going to beat Kevin Durant, but he looked like Kevin Durant at the same stage two years ago, his senior year in high school, you know, junior year after his junior year in high school, AAU ball. He looked like Kevin Durant, long, smooth, could rise up, really, really shoot the basketball, take it off the glass and push it. It's not always pretty when he pushes it because he's still got to work on that handle and tighten it up, but he's got some of the same the same skill set that Kevin Durant had, not at the same level, uh, but certainly a guy that you thought could be an NBA star, and now you you question it. You have to question it. Jeff, uh, you had a tweet uh, in the, the last few days that said something along the lines of that you've heard from from multiple first front office people that there are some concerns, some character concerns about uh, about Mike. What kind of specifically um, have have NBA personnel kind of been worried about in that regard? Yeah, and ca- maybe character was the wrong word to use there, but I don't think so. I mean, they were calling me in the preseason when they were watching in practice and saying like what's up with this kid? And I was saying, what do you mean? Like, I love Michael Porter as a kid. I've, I've been around him a ton over the years. And, you know, he's a kid who smiles, looks you in the eye, shakes your hand, can carry on a conversation. And I was getting a lot of it from them of, like, watching him, and there's no interaction between him, he and his teammates. He goes off by himself. He, he kind of carries himself as arrogant. Um, even recently, I had one person that was in the room of, of one of his NBA interviews, and they said he, he was completely disinterested. Um you know, so there are some concerns. Uh, again, I've never – it shocked me. Like, I was like, are you talking about the same person? And the first person who called me, I remember, was back in probably uh, September, October. I was like, you know, through it kind of – you know, how you hear one thing and you're like – you throw it away. You're like, I've dealt with him. I know more than this guy. And then I heard it from second, third, fourth NBA guy. And then you start to believe it. And it certainly – it's made its way throughout the NBA – and just added another question mark uh, to this whole Michael Porter saga right now. 
Talking with Jeff Goodman. And uh, so all these questions we understand are there and, and they're maybe not there about some other kids, but somebody in the top 10 or 12 is going to say, this kid can't fall any farther. We're taking him. Uh, you know certainly much more about the NBA than I do, which isn't much. Here's the extent of what I think of the teams that could take Michael. You don't want him to go to Sacramento because you don't want anybody to go to Sacramento. Um, I, I've said I think Dallas is, is maybe a good spot because while it's a major media market, it maybe doesn't have the Chicago, New York attitude that that could chew certain 19-year-old kids up. Where do you see Mike as the best fit kind of on and off the floor? Well, it'd be interesting in Chicago because his, his agent is there. Mark Bartlestein right. is based in Chicago, not too far. You know, he's Midwest at least. Probably makes him feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, you know, they're young. There's not a ton of expectations on them at this point. I, I think you're right. You don't want the microscope on Michael Porter next year. You know, you want him to be able to kind of go to someplace. I mean, ideally, you'd love him to go to someplace where there really aren't great expectations um, and, and he doesn't have to play a ton right away. Where is that? I don't know. I mean, again, I'm not sure the ideal situation for him at the end of the day, but I think you know Chicago wouldn't be a bad spot. I, I'm not sure I want to see him in Cleveland. To be honest, because no matter what happens, even if LeBron lose, you know, leaves Cleveland, um, then you got Michael Porter, and everybody's kind of think, you know, looking at what Cleveland's going to do in the post-LeBron uh, regime, uh, and, and it's, a lot of that will fall on Michael Porter. Mm-hmm. Jeff, you kind of talked about how this time of year, you know, one of the hardest things to do is sort through all the misinformation that's out there and being disseminated, and. Um, you know, just uh, yesterday, I believe, or yeah, I believe it was yesterday, we saw some information that said Mike might have to sit out a year uh, once he's drafted. Do you think it's it's possible that, you know, whether or not that that's true, that it's his camp is putting out any kind of, uh, you know, smoke screens or misinformation? Or, or is that all on the part of, you know, teams trying to maybe manipulate his draft position? Um, could it be his camp, meaning his agent? Maybe. I don't think it's his family. I mean, listen, you guys were probably trying to get information like I was throughout the year. Yeah, not easy. And uh, there weren't many leaks coming out of there, correct? Right, yeah. right, yeah. So I, I don't think there's much coming from his family. They're pretty tight-knit, even though there's, you know, a hundred of them. Uh, they're pretty tight-knit. They're not, they're not giving up a whole lot. Uh, and, and certainly we hear how mom kind of runs the show a little bit there. But, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where could it have been from his agent? Sure. I mean, Mark Barlstein certainly talks to enough people in the media, uh, and he's got enough people working for him uh, in Chicago. But I think it would be more likely that this is teams leaking out information to try to help themselves uh, at the end of the day. And, you know, again, is it somebody in that 9 to 10 to 12 range trying to hope that Michael Porter falls to them? Uh, you know, and the best way to do that is what? Throw out a bunch of information that, hey, listen, you know what? We were told by our medical people, and this is, I, I really don't talk to a ton of people within the NBA that I don't trust. Mm-hmm. You know, I talk to the people that really call me for information on players I've known for years. Hopefully they're not going to give me, you know, incorrect info because they know they're going to have to deal with me and they're calling me for other stuff uh, in the next few years. So um, that's kind of how I go about business. Same thing with shoe company people. I, I don't put a ton of stock into them. Um, I, I, I'd rather go with what, again, the people that you really trust, those are the ones you're going to use the information from. Other than that, on something like this, you don't want to just throw stuff out there. Last thing, and, and we'll let you run, Jeff. want to turn it away from Michael a little bit, but, but kind of stay in the family. Uh, I know 
we all had the same expectation you did for quite some time. Hey, we've seen the last of the Porters in Columbia. We thought Jonte was going pro until the last yeah. last couple days before the announcement. We kind of heard the tide had turned. I don't know exactly why, but how big is that? I mean, how are we going to be talking about Jonte in this same same range, top ten, top fifteen next year? And how big is that for Conzo and this team next year? I think I think his ceiling is a little bit lower than that. I think he's probably you know. 15 to 25 at the end of the day. I think that's where Jonte probably goes next year. Uh, it's, it's a weak draft, though, so who knows? I mean, it's hard to say without knowing kind of some of these other guys and, and who blows up and who, you know, nobody, like in the point guard position this year, nobody saw Trey Young or Shea Gilgis Alexander being in the mix mm-hmm. in, the, in the lottery. They're both going to go in the lottery at the end of the day. So uh, you don't know, but I think Jonte will obviously, it, it's a huge boost for, for Conzo and for Missouri this year because. Now they can stay relevant, where I think if you had lost him, I think it would have been hard to stay nationally relevant. Well, Jeff, appreciate your time, man. Uh, best of luck in the recovery and uh, whenever you, you get to start, get back to riding. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. And, uh, Mitchell, good luck and say hello to your dad for me, all right? Yes, sir. Thanks, Jeff. All right, Jeff Goodman. Hey, guys. Appreciate the time. Uh, formerly of ESPN, again. He's kind of in limbo, but he's going to be working for Stadium, which is a new venture you can follow. And, like, look, I know people on our board are going to go, whoa, they had Jeff Goodman on. Like, I thought they were – I like Jeff's fine. I, like, I've dealt with Jeff a number of times over the years. You know, I, I don't love it when Jeff is breaking news that games we're sitting courtside at, but that's not <laughs> Jeff's fault. He's good at his job. Yeah. Um. So, I, I, I don't know what to make. Uh, this draft, to me, starts when Michael Porter is picked. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know when that's going to be. It could be at two and it could be at seven or eight. But this draft starts, like, DeAndre Ayton's going number one. I've got a hard time believing the Sacramento Kings aren't going to take Marvin Bagley. But maybe they aren't. Maybe they take Mike. But but they always say kind of the, the NFL draft starts when the first quarterback goes off the board. This draft starts when Michael Porter Jr. is off the board. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, he's very clearly, like you said, the uh, the biggest story coming in. The uh, just in the last forty eight hours, the amount of different you know stories and speculations and reports we've heard have been, well, you know, it, it, like incredible, incredible, but also yeah, but consistent, yeah, yeah, consistent. But uh, it, you know, unusual for your average NBA NBA draft prospect. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, basically, you know, in my mind, tonight will will kind of at least provide a hint as to what is in some of those medical reports and what what teams have figured out and how much of this talk of his back and his character has been uh, misinformation and how much has been legitimate. So let's be clear, like people might, NBA people might be calling Jeff Goodman for information. I have not fielded any calls from NBA people. I don't think you have. (laughs) I have not either. But uh, so now we're going to play the, okay, you've got a top whatever pick. Mm -hmm. Do you take Michael Porter Jr.? Now, like I said, there's going to be a point, and whether that point is five or seven or I don't know where it is, I tend to think it's the Chicago Bulls at seven. If he's still there, somebody's going to say, I don't care about the, all the other stuff. I see the talent, and I've got to take the talent mm-hmm. here. It, it's too good to pass up. I think that spot's going to be seven. If you had a top seven pick, would you take Michael Porter Jr.? I would, but that's assuming that the medicals are not as bad as maybe some people are making them out to be. Um, you know, I definitely think he's he's one of the three most talented players in the draft. Uh, he he like like Jeff said, he fits what the NBA is looking for these days perfectly. You know, he's just a, an automatic mismatch. Um, 
And I know that, you know, we don't we don't like comparing him to certain like superstars and stuff like that, but he definitely he fits the mold of maybe like a Kevin Durant. Um and and he, you know, he definitely showed at least a little bit for me at one of the biggest, you know, concerns aside from health was was you know, kind of a, a toughness factor. Would would he, you know, be willing to come back and play? And the fact that he he played uh, for Missouri when he was very, very clearly less than a hundred percent in the SEC and NCAA tournament did maybe you know help his stock in my mind. So assuming he's healthy enough that he's like going to have an NBA career, I wouldn't pass on him in, in the top seven. I wouldn't take him maybe in the top two or three. But I think, you know, before in the top seven, like you said, I would I would just have to, to take the chance on him because he could really be a, a superstar. I think and I will probably end up looking dumb. I think I'd pass. Uh, and here's why. Like. It, all these other guys, like, I don't think Michael is clearly like worlds above these other guys right now. He might have been a year ago, but he's not right now. And you don't know what he's got. Like, we haven't seen him at that level in a while. So all these other guys are like, I understand you have the FBI stuff with Aiton and, uh, you know, Nike paid Marvin Bagley's family billions of dollars. I understand that. Those are distractions. But no other prospect in this draft has the level of, for lack of a better word, baggage that Mm -hmm. Michael Porter Jr. has. And it's not just the back. It is the back, but it's also the all the things we talked with Jeff about. So if I'm sitting at five, and I can take Michael Porter Jr. or I can take Mo Bamba. Mm-hmm. Is Michael a better player? Probably. Is he so much better that I'm going to take him instead of a guy who I think is going to be a 10-year pro without some of these questions that I know Mo Bamba is going to play and I know he's healthy? I probably wouldn't. Um, now, again, that might end up looking really stupid because the ceiling for this kid truly is Kevin Durant. If 12 years from now, he is a three-time MVP and he's won two <laughs> rings. Everybody's going to go, why did this kid go sixth and yeah. not first? Um, but that's the risk. I also think it depends on who you are. I, I heard Gary Parish talking on their podcast last week. He said, if you're the GM of the Memphis Grizzlies and you're the guy who took Hashim to beat number one in a loaded draft a few years ago, can you risk taking Michael Porter Jr. and having him not be healthy enough to be good? Mm-hmm. You probably can't. Yeah. Now, if you're John Paxson in Chicago, you can probably risk that because yeah. you've got enough equity that, that you can overcome that. Yeah, I definitely agree that, you know, it depends what players are left on the board and what, you know, who you are, what team you're you're managing. But, uh, you know, my, my, my point kind of is that I, I agree that he has all this baggage that we've talked about, but I, I think the back is separate. But aside from the back, all that other stuff is is probably – you know, like everything this time, you're getting way blown out of proportion, and he's good enough that it's more a problem for the beat writers <laughs> yeah. than anybody else. Yeah, I think, I mean, truly, I do think he's talented enough that if it weren't for the back, all that stuff would get overlooked yeah. pretty easily. I think you're right, and ultimately, you know, here's the thing we forget about the NBA draft: this is not the NFL where, right. like, if you're the 31st pick, you're expected to play right away. Like, the NBA is looking for like six guys in this draft, mm-hmm. and after that, it's like. Yeah, we want you to come in and kind of be the ninth guy off the bit. Like you're, you're a lottery pick, and you're not going to be asked to do much next year. Yeah, no, definitely. Like the 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 guy I always come back to is uh, is Harry Giles, or yeah, um, you know, a, a guy who like did, I, he did nothing in college and was very clearly the expectation was that he was not going to do anything very quickly in the NBA, and yet he was a lottery pick because he had shown it at one point, and the teams just hope it's worth it. You know, in a league where you only have 
you know, five stars, it's worth it to take a flyer on a guy because you don't have to simply fill out a roster. It's the Joel Embiid effect. Yeah. You know, um, so it's going to be fascinating to see where Michael goes. Um, And I think, last thing on this, I think it's going to be fascinating to kind of see what Missouri fans' reaction to him is throughout his NBA career. And obviously some of it's going to have to do with how good is he. (laughs) Right. I, I mean, if he's... Like, I don't see a lot of Missouri fans claiming Jordan Clarkson this month. <laughs> you know? um, so, obviously, some of it's how good he is. But just, I, I don't know. It's a, it is, more than anything, this is such a fascinating social experiment that's been going on. Yeah, yeah. And like, like you said, it's kind of par for the course. Yeah, no, no question about it. So, I'd like to tell you that's the last we'll talk about Michael Porter Jr. for a while. It probably isn't something else will happen. But it's the last time on this podcast we're talking about Michael Porter Jr. We're going to... Move on to football, where for the last couple weeks we've been doing our 2018 opponent previews. We are going in chronological order, which means Georgia is up next. Uh, Talking to Anthony Dasher from UGASports.com. And uh, so, Dash, we won't take too much of your time. Like, Georgia's going to come in here. They're going to roll Missouri. They're going to roll through the SEC East, and we'll just see if they can win the whole thing, right? Uh, we'll see about that. I don't know. I'm, that's not well, the answer Kirby Smart will give you, I'm sure. I mean, I'm, hey, Kirby I'm Smart right won't now. give I'm you an right answer. Now. He never yeah, I'm positive, he never talked to him. That's true. That's true. But I'm positive that Mel Tucker is uh, already probably uh, scared to death of what Drew Locke might do in his secondary. So uh, well, we'll see about the, about the rolling part in this ballgame. <laughs> uh, Anthony, uh, you know, obviously the, the storyline surrounding Georgia's team is, you know, coming so close to winning a national championship last year. Is that something that uh, during the spring and and now the off season that they've been that the players have been pretty open about talking about as a source of motivation, or is that something that maybe they try to put behind them, but put behind themselves and not dwell on? Well, I think quietly, you know, that's something that serves as motivation. But but when you talk to them, you know, on the record, publicly, or however you want to put it, I mean, uh, what happened in, in you know January eighth and uh, Mercedes Benz is, is is over, it's forgotten. At least that's what they say. I'm not sure if that's really the case, but. They are they're moving ahead. They're not worried about what happened last year. They're focused on uh, trying to trying to get back and uh, and and anything that happened last year is not going to help them this season. So they're focused on trying to you know get everything ironed out uh, this fall and hopefully make another run. Uh, Dash, I think if you go back, I don't know over the last 30, 40 years, you tell me if I'm wrong about this. I might yeah. refer to Georgia as tailback. You in college football, they've had mm-hmm. so many unbelievable running backs roll through there. <laughs> And, mm-hmm. and the story, I think, with this team, I, other than the defense, which we'll talk about, is we all know Nick Chubb's gone, and uh, and then Sony Michelle is gone, and so I assume they roll out about three more five stars at tailback this month, this year. No, we'll we'll see. I mean, Dondre Swift was a true freshman last year. Actually, uh, averaged more yards per carry than Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle, and he what, rushed almost eight hundred yards last season. And of course, they they signed Zamir White. He was uh, you know the number one running back in the. Rivals rankings, five-star kid, top ten player in the country. Of course, he is coming off an ACL injury. He suffered, uh, you know, right as his high school team was entering the playoffs. But he's made an, uh, what I, I, only can be described as a miraculous recovery from that. And uh, I, I, at first, I was going to think he might be ready to go, you know, maybe midway season. But after seeing him in the spring and, and hearing reports on him this summer, he could well be ready to go by the time you know Georgia kicks off his season. You know, you know, September first against Austin P. But aside from that, they've got Elijah Holyfield. I mean, Brian Harry, and uh, both of those guys played a lot last year. And another five-star running back, James Cook, gets here in a couple of weeks. So, uh, you know, the names are different, but uh, they think the production is going to be pretty much the same. Wow, that's uh, that's remarkable. A lot of talent in the Georgia backfield. Um, you know, 
last season, not not to certainly diminish, you know, the job that, that Jake Fromm and that offense did, but obviously the, the strength of the Georgia team for the majority of the season was their defense. Um, yep. You know, after losing Roquan Smith and, and a few other the leaders on that defense, I believe Lorenzo Carter was was drafted. Uh, do you think mm-hmm. that, that that this will be need to be a team that you know scores some more points this year and kind of leans on the offense more? I think so, and I also think you'll see Georgia open you know open up the playbook a little bit more. Maybe have Jake Fromm or Justin Fields throw the ball a lot more than what we saw last year when it was just mostly Chubb and Michelle doing you know the bulk of the work. But you know, you know, defensively, like I said, they lose some key players. You know, Roquan Smith was a he's a once every ten year type type linebacker for him, and I think it's impossible or not even you know not fair to ask him back to replace the guy. But but to get, to get back to your question, oh, yeah, offensively, I think Georgia's going to you'll see them do a little more different things this year than what they've done in the past two seasons. All right, so I look at Georgia's schedule and like first first impression is probably ten to twelve wins in the regular season, certainly, but. There's a whole yeah. bunch of games. There's not one that jumps out that I say, oh, that's the one that, that might trip them up. But there's a lot of games. I mean, week two, they're at South Carolina. Week four, they're yeah. at Missouri. In October, yeah. they, they, they're they they at LSU. Then they have the cocktail party. Then two weeks later, they host Auburn. All of those games, like, it, they're going to win most of them. But individually, to me, those are the five games that you kind of look at and go, if they don't get back, they they stumbled a, a little bit in one game. I mean, is there one game on that schedule that jumps out to you that says this is kind of the the barometer for what I expect? You know, I'm kind of like you. There's three or four games there that are I I I, I think could be trip up. You know, type contest. I do think George will be favored in all the games they play this year. I don't. That doesn't mean I think they're going to win them all. But uh, you know, that that week two game against South Carolina, I think is going to be a I think uh, you know one we can tell a whole lot about this team. Uh, Fortunately for Georgia, this game's not going to be at night. And now you've been in Columbia, South Carolina for those night games. This gets a pretty, uh, could be a pretty scary atmosphere. But that game's at three thirty in the afternoon, the heat of the day. And I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I, I think that kind of helps Georgia a little bit, to be quite honest with you, as opposed to playing that one at night. But that game's going to be one. It's the one I've got circled first on my schedule because you know Will Muschamp. Yeah, I think he's going to have that team playing pretty well this year, and that's going to be the first key uh, game for them, first key game for Georgia. Mm-hmm. You uh you you touched on this a little bit in uh, your answer to a, to a question earlier, but uh you know obviously Georgia coming off of a, an appearance in the national championship game, everyone assumes that that Jake Fromm, the the true freshman quarterback who led them there last year, is going to be back uh, starting. But they brought in Justin Fields, who is a you know a five star yeah. quarterback himself. Is is it a close competition, or do you think there's a chance that Justin Fields could work his way into some playing time? Well, I think he'll work himself into playing time. I don't think he'll start. I mean, this is Jake Fromm's team. Jake, uh, you know, is uh, is the guy. I mean, I know there's, you know, there's a lot of speculation out there that Justin, you know, could overtake him. I just don't. I just don't see that happening. Knowing how hard Jake Fromm works and how well he did last year, what he did, I just don't see that correct. That being said, I mean, Justin Fields uh, gives uh, Georgia uh, the kind of quarterback he has not had in a, a long time. He's a uh, very he reminds me a lot of Deshaun Watson for, for Clemson. You know, he played there, did such a wonderful job winning a national title for the Tigers. Does a lot of the same thing. So I think you'll see Georgia, you know, design some plays, maybe give him a series or two. Uh, you know, he's he, he's just that good of an athlete, good, that good of a player. And I think they've got to find a way to get him on the field, especially now with the new uh, the new redshirt rule where you can guys can play four games. I definitely think you'll see him get some time in some of these contests. But uh, uh, we'll we'll see. I mean, I, you know. Kirby Smart is going to tell you it's an open competition, but I believe that when I see it. Last football question for you, Dash. Uh, I mean, Georgia is going to be a runaway favorite in the SEC East when we uh, when we're in Hoover next month. I, frankly, I'll be shocked if they don't 
win the poll unanimously. But let's say, for argument's sake, Georgia does not win the SEC East next year. Who does? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll say South Carolina. I mean, I, I'm really that high on the on the Gamecocks this year. But right now, if I was going to pick uh, pick the East, I would I would go Georgia, South Carolina, Missouri, number three. I really would. I just I just love that offense. I mean, it's a question. Also, how much that defense is going to improve and if they can stop a few people from time to time. Because I think the offense is going to be pretty dynamic with Drew Locke. That's what I'd pick, too. I will bet you a beer in Hoover that it goes Georgia, South Carolina, Florida. Well, I'm going to win that bet because the SEC meetings in, uh, media days in Atlanta this year. Oh, so you well, are going to lose that one. <laughs> we'll be in Hoover at some point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, last thing, switching gears a little bit. Tom Crean's been there a few months. What's kind yeah. of the uh, the reception and, and how are things uh, going on the basketball side? Well, it's, it's, it's been 110 degrees different. I mean, uh, Georgia's never had a basketball coach uh, of any kind come in and just be out there, just be as uh, on social media every day, every night. He's tweeting something, some kind of message from the from him, the players. He's really doing all he can to get Georgia fans excited about basketball. And just what I can tell, he's he's, he's really done a he, he's done a wonderful job. I'm not saying this team's going to make the NCAA next year by any stretch of the imagination, but. Uh, He's got people, like I said, he's got people pumped. He's got people excited about coming to basketball games. And it's going to be, uh, I think you'll see a different atmosphere. I think you'll see a different style of play for sure than what we saw in Mark Fox, who was, uh, you know, his teams, you know, for pretty good a coach. I think he was. They didn't play the most exciting Brad of hoops. But, uh, hey, Georgia basketball. That. Yeah, like I agree with you. It's nothing against Mark Fox. He did a pretty good job, but. God, they were terrible to watch. <laughs> oh, they 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 were they were just hard to watch. I mean, yeah. they really were, and that's the biggest complaint I got from uh, you know fans on our message board. Just just couldn't take the boring style of play. I know the defense obviously a huge part of the game, but they want to see people who can light it up, who can who can score, who can put the ball in the hoop. And and when I think George has some guys capable of that, Mark Fox never really kind of put them in that position to be able to do, succeed. All right, Dash. Well, I appreciate it, man. I, I think I'll bump into you in Atlanta. And now that I know where we'll everything's it. at, I'll bump into you in Atlanta a couple <laughs> now, times this month. Now that you're going to show up at the right place, I think we'll be all right. <laughs> all right, man. Have a good one. Thanks. <laughs> See you guys. All right, Anthony Dasher, UGASports.com. Um, I, I mean, I think I, I'm not going to pretend to have looked at every division and every conference in college football. I will be shocked if there is a bigger favorite in any division in college football than Georgia in the SEC East going into this season. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree. Although, I mean, I mean, maybe Ohio State. I don't know yeah. if they have actual teams in their division. <laughs> I have no. I yeah, I don't. I don't even know the makeup of the new Big Ten divisions. Alabama will obviously be extremely heavily favored in their division just because they're Alabama. But but I think Georgia makes more sense as a favorite. Like Auburn and LSU are better than right. whoever the second oh, best abs- team in absolutely the, the no East doubt is. no doubt yeah. So yeah, I mean, uh, we are now. Let's see. It is June twentieth. We're Less than four weeks away from SEC media days, so uh, I guess we better hurry up and get vacations in, huh? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. We'll, uh, you know, keep doing, keep cranking on our previews until then. We uh, got a lot done this week. That was good. And then we'll have stuff to, like real stuff to talk about. It's only a month away. (laughs) Good, Good stuff. Until then, we'll keep making stuff up. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.